Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. Not every path into and through dirt racing is the same and my guest this week certainly breaks the mold. After running winged and non-winged cars when he was younger, Tony Ross put a pause on his racing career to pursue his education. Now with a doctorate from the University of Nebraska and an MBA from the University of Nebraska Omaha in hand, Rost is venturing back into sprint car racing and has plans to do things a little differently. He and two partners have started Catalyst Autosport with plans to enter weekly 360 sprint car competition at Knoxville Raceway and some other events in 2021. Armed with his education and several years of research, Rost has some very specific ideas on how to market and promote his team and the sport of sprint car racing. This time on the show, Ross joins to talk about his racing career, making the decision to step away and get his degrees, his ideas on motorsports sponsorship and marketing in these changing times, and much more. So enjoy my conversation with Tony Rost. Tony, I feel like, you know, you are a name that most people probably aren't going to know. Um, but me and you have been kind of going back and forth for a few years, kind of via email and, and um, you know, about some business topics and some different things. But I guess let's start out with your racing background. You're, you're going to run sprint cars this year, and I believe 360 sprint cars, correct? Yep. yep. So where, like, where did you get started? Where have you been racing? Like, give me a rundown on, on your kind of racing career up to this point. Sure. So I started um, racing go-karts when I was in like second or third grade, just junior one gas, like the most entry-level flat cart you could find. And um, that was at Wavelength Raceway near Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, so I grew up about 30 minutes west of Lincoln, real small town. Um, did go-karts for a couple of years, but it wasn't anything serious or super competitive. Um, and then when I was 14, uh, going into my freshman year of high school, I ended up getting a four-cylinder and I ended up doing four-cylinders for a couple of years. And then that turned into a hobby stock. And then around 2011, uh, senior year of high school, got into a sport mod and raced sport mods um, here around Nebraska, Iowa, uh, Kansas. We'd go to you know a big show in Las Vegas at the end of the year. Um, and had some decent success with that in like 2013, um, ran a lot of McCool Junction, I-80 Speedway, um, Corning, Iowa, uh, kind of the NASCAR series there. So <clears throat> had a really successful year, 2013, and then, um, got into 305 Sprint Car in 2014. Are we talking like Race Saver? Yep. Race Saver Sprint Car, um, here at Eagle Raceway, just down the road. Um, and so started out with a wing sprint, wing 305 sprint, um, got five or six races into the year at Eagle and just wasn't having a ton of fun or success. And, uh, one of my buddies talked me into trying some non-wing stuff. And so we ended up going with the war series down in, uh, Missouri. And so we travel around a little bit and run, uh, that Hockett McMillan race down in Wheatland and, and a few shows in Missouri and really liked that. And that was with the 305 in 2014 and then uh, ended up buying a 360 engine, which is still the engine I have today from John Egan uh, over at Knoxville um, and then ran 360 sprints uh, in 2015. And so that was mostly Nebraska 360 series. Uh, and then we split the year about half wing, half non-wing and did some war stuff as well. 
So, and then since then, it, it, like I have like a million questions I want to ask you because I'm, I'm super curious about your kind of thoughts on the business and all of this. And it's like one of the big reasons I want to have you on, but you then kind of, you get to a point where you take time off, right? Yeah. So I did my undergrad down at Kansas state university and raced all through college. I ended up graduating there in 2015 and um, put racing on hold for four years while I, I went up to up here in Omaha, which is where I live now, and um, went to school at the University of Nebraska Medical Center and got my clinical doctorate in physical therapy. And then on top of that, too, I ended up getting my master's in business administration as well. Um, because the doctorate just wasn't hard enough? Just wasn't enough. You know, <laughs> couldn't get enough, enough school and homework and tuition and and so I actually just finished my MBA here in December. So, so uh, now what are you doing with all of this? Yeah. So I, I, right out of school, I started practicing as a clinician, as a physical therapist, uh, working for a home health company. So we actually go into people's homes and provide treatment, um, for people who are homebound or too sick to kind of get to an outpatient clinic. Um, and so I, I did that for a little over a year. And then I had the opportunity to move into the administrator role there. So now I'm a healthcare administrator at that same company. So basically responsible for uh, our team of about 25 clinicians and 250 patients kind of managing the day-to-day operations and, and financial health of the branch and all those things. So while you're doing all of the school, where is racing at this point? Is it like in the back of your mind? Did you think you were going to come back around to it? Like wh- where were your thoughts on that? So I, yeah, I really missed it. Um, Not just the driving, right? That adrenaline rush, but also everything else that went into it, the sponsorships and the marketing and the logistics and planning and and putting a team together and traveling, like all of that stuff was just a lot of fun for me as well. Um, And so I really spent those four years kind of studying the sport from an outside perspective. Cause that's something I feel you don't really get when you're in it. Right. I'm like, we were just trying to get to Knoxville and make sure we had tires the next week. You know, we weren't, I wasn't looking at big picture stuff and, and taking some time out really let me look at big picture across not only dirt racing, but motorsports in general, looking at formula one, IndyCar, NASCAR, like who's doing what, what does their marketing and, and social media look like? Like how are trends changing? Like, what are these, people doing. And that four years coupled with um, my MBA and some of that technical business knowledge, I think really helped me study the sport from an outside perspective. I'm trying to think about like the first time you emailed me and I know you had questions for me when I, when I worked for the outlaws and things like that, but you know, it's been probably what, four or five years ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably been about four. And I remember I was doing some research on, on the side there and, and really was curious about um, the overlap and, and how similar like the outlaw fan, sprint car fan demographics were to like your average NASCAR fan. Because NASCAR and IndyCar demographics are, if you do enough Google searching, you can find a lot of stuff there. But um, sprint car, it's becoming more mainstream now, especially, you know, you look at you've got NOS energy on board and everything that Kyle Larson's done over the last year and, and iRacing and like, you know, all these things that have kind of shined a light on sprint cars, but back up three or four years ago, and that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, and so, yeah, I think I reached out to you. I, I heard, um, 
Richard Marshall, uh, open red interview. And he talked a lot about the business side of things and he's a pretty savvy business guy. And, and, um, that kind of spurred my interest and I was like, and I, you know, I was like, I'm going to email Justin and see <laughs> if he's got anything he can help me out with. So I think that's where that, where that started. But, um, you know, and, and during my time off, that's when iRacing really took off with the dirt stuff. So I ended up building a, a simulator and I've actually got it sitting in my living room right now. I've got my sprint car seat and a uh, wheel and pedals and all that good stuff, VR set up. So I still got to enjoy that part of it while I was out. So when did you kind of come back around then and be like, all right, I'm going to get a car together again. I'm going to start trying to figure out a team and all of these things. Yeah. So I graduated from the med center in May of 2019 and I actually was, had planned on just kind of working for a while and I didn't really, um, jumping right back in wasn't at the forefront of my mind, but my, my dad had a really good conversation with my dad who's always um, been a big supporter. And, and he said, Hey, you're done with school. You should get a car again. He's like, I'm not going to probably not be able to help you that much, but you should get a car again. And, um, I ended up buying a, it was a used car from uh, the Grindies and Hunter Scherenberg raced it. At, I think it was the 2018 Knoxville national. So it was all brand new, super nice stuff. Um, all tricked out with titanium and carbon and about as best of parts you could put on a car and, and had 50 laps on it and um, got a pretty good deal on that. So that was the car that I ended up going with. And that was like June or July of 2019. And I kept when I, got out of racing in 2015 and I kept my seat and my engine. It was the only two things I kept. We sold everything else. And so I sent my engine down to Salina engine in Salina, Kansas and had Adam there do a freshen on it. And then I still had my seat. And so we had an engine, a seat in the car and that was about it. I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any spare tires. I didn't have anything and essentially started over from scratch. So then like how many races have you done? Like I, I was trying to remember, like me and you had DM'd again a few, a few times. And I know you had said you raced maybe like one or two times at the end of 2019. Is that correct? Yep. So we had planned to, and by we, I mean, uh, I ended up partnering with a couple guys, um, Larry Fosler and Brandon Smetter, kind of a couple of local 360 car owners here that um, had kind of been out of the sport for a while too, um, for various reasons. And when I got that car together, I, I messaged them and said, Hey, I need, I need some great people around me to help spin wrenches and help me figure out these setups and things. Cause I can't do all this by myself. Um, like I did previously. And so we kind of joined forces there and that's where, um, things started in 2019. And I really just wanted to run a couple of races that fall just to knock the rust off and make sure I still knew where the gas pedal was and things like that. So, um, we ended up running one race at I-80 Speedway in, I think, September of 2019. And then we had another one on the books, but it got rained out. So um, I had that four-year gap from 2015 to 2019. And then we just had one race, in, you know, heat race in the B main, and that was it. So um, really don't get, have it. Did you get to race at all in 2020? No. So we um, had a full schedule planned. I think we had 30 or 40 nights. Um, which isn't a full schedule, a lot of people, but for us, you know, working guys that that was, so, um, we had 30 or 40 nights on the books and COVID happened and it was kind of, you know, wait and see, wait and see. And with, you know, this local health department in this County says yes. And this one says no. And it was just kind of hard to plan for stuff. And we ended up getting into, I think June or July and things started to, I think Knoxville started coming back a little bit and um, 
we all kind of sat down and looked at each other and was like, well, we got, you know, about 20 or 22 nights on this engine before it's going to need a fresh. And uh, we didn't see a whole lot of sense in running 10 nights and going into an off season and either prematurely freshening the engine or else having to do it in March or April of this year, May. Um, so, at the, you know, it was June or July and we just, just decided to park it and kind of build up our resources and, um, you know, I ended up buying a new trailer and a pit mule and some other things that are going to be really helpful to have. And, and I think if we had just jumped in and just started racing just to race, um, we wouldn't have kind of the resources that we do now. And so we're, you know, the goal is just to take that extra year off and really position ourselves well for 2021. How do you kind of balance, you know, the nine to five Monday through Friday job with this? Like, are you working nights, weekends? Like, how does that kind of all fall together? Yeah. So on my job description is eight to five, but it's usually a lot more than that. Um, but I'm lucky now that it's pretty flexible in where I work. As long as I have my laptop and my phone, um, I can do a lot of stuff from either at home or, or on the road if I need to. So um, right now, the way that our schedule looks, I, I won't have to take a ton of time off. A lot of it is just, you know, Knoxville on a Saturday and that's very doable working a regular day job Monday through Friday. Um, just a couple of days of PTO here or there, if we want to go down to Lakeside or, or Devil's Bowl or something like that. Um, so that part isn't too bad. It's the, um, so I live and work 90 miles from where our race shop is. And so Friday night after work, I'm usually driving back and out there till 11 or midnight. And then it's a 16 hour day on Saturday and probably a 12 hour day on Sunday. Um, uh, and just cramming as much as I could into a weekend to get ready. That's kind of what I was used to in college. You know, I went to, like I said, I went to school at Kansas state and that was 150 miles from our shop. And I would make that drive every, you know, I'd leave campus on Thursday night um, or Friday morning and drive up to the shop and go race wherever we were going to race and get the car cleaned up and maintenance done and everything on Sunday and then head back to school. And so I was kind of, it's not very handy or convenient, but that's kind of what I've been used to um, all through college is what I did why the winged route versus the non-wing route? Obviously you have experience doing both, but why that direction? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I financially wing racing makes more sense. Um, being able to, so the driving a wing car, I know there's a few guys that jump back and forth, but it's very, very, it's about as different as you would imagine it is. And that one thing about that 2015 season when we did both is it's very hard to get in a rhythm. It's very hard to go um, wing racing this weekend, wingless next weekend. Like you, you got to change front axle and you got to do a bunch of stuff. And, and I really admire guys that could do that. Um, you see Tyler Courtney doing that, you know, Brian Clausen did that all the time. Um, you know, Kyle Larson did, you know, they jump in and out of different cars like that takes, that's a lot harder than you would think it is. Um, and so we really decided that we wanted to focus on one thing. And if we were going to focus on one thing, we wanted it to be wing racing. Um, that opens up more options for racing locally. There's not a ton of non-wing stuff around here. Everything's going to be a four to eight hour drive from where we're at. And we got Knoxville three hours down the road. Um, so that decision wasn't too hard to make. Uh, I've also busted my ass really hard in a non-wing car and um, 
I had had a couple guys tell me that where I was, you know, when I first started, I was pretty reckless driving into the corners, just carrying way too much speed and kind of almost fearless to a fault. And we were down racing at Wheatland that year in 2015. And I biked that thing up and qualifying and flipped it five times and bent my seat. And, and I never drove a non-one car the same after that. And so, um, that has something to do with it too. I feel more comfortable in a wing car right now. And I just think the way that the sport's moving and, and um, opportunities here kind of locally and regionally, it just makes more sense for us. What's your schedule look like? I, I feel like I saw something about Knoxville weekly, uh, but what, what, uh, what does 2021 look like? When are you getting started and where are you going to be this year? Yeah. So Knoxville weekly is definitely the focus. Um, we're going to try and hit some ASCS national stuff. Uh, later in the year so we've got lakeside is on there which i think is like a tuesday night show um lakeside devil's bowl at the end of the year uh that jesse hockett um mcmillan uh, memorial race down at wheeland and um so previously there was the nebraska 360 series which ran here you know i-80 speedway and you know um, some tracks here in Nebraska and South Dakota, um, but that had folded kind of over the off season. Um, but it just recently got announced that I-80 Speedway is going to host, uh, I think five or six 360 wing races and do a little points fund. So um, we might, depending on how things go at Knoxville, we might jump in and, and do some of that too, because it's 30 minutes down the road from us. And I would consider I-80 my, my home track and I love it there. So um we might jump. I, that'll be our first race, April 2nd and 3rd at I-80 to open it up. And then Knoxville is, I think, two weekends after that. So uh, but primarily Knoxville, Knoxville Weekly. Uh, one of the like big reasons I want to have you on the show is because I I'm curious about your you know your experience with your MBA and and your, your kind of thoughts on the business of racing and you know you guys just recently started your your vlog on YouTube um, you know which I think you're at three videos now um, kind of you know updating people on the progress with your car and, and looking around the shop and things like that. But, you know, where are you at right now with kind of the business of your team and, and sponsorships and things like that? Yeah. So I guess I'll tell you a little bit about why or how this team is different than like in the past. So um, it's Catalyst Autosport is the name of the team. And I knew that when I, when we formed this, uh, I wanted to do things a little differently after going through my MBA program and kind of all that research I did sitting out um, those four years and kind of watching from the sidelines and, um, you know, a very common thing. And it's not um, not a bad thing at all. Um, it actually makes a lot of sense is a team name, you know, like first name, last name racing, Brian Brown racing, Casey Kane, Tony Stewart, like there's a reason they do that because there's a lot of recognition and, and brand value in those names. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, nobody knows who I am and it doesn't, to me, it just didn't make a lot of sense to um, have my name tied to the team. And I think it just wanted to be a little different. And so, and you know, had a kind of a design board with 10 or 15 different concepts or names on it and ended up on catalyst Autosport and, and that gives us the ability to scale. Like at some point, you know, if I don't want to drive anymore or, um, you know, we want to throw some young kid in the seat and give them an opportunity that um, makes a lot of sense there. Um, that's something I really believe in is kind of reaching down and, and helping develop the next 
generation of drivers. So I hope that we get an opportunity to, to do that. Um, and also one of the goals of the team, you know, it's not just to go make laps and burn fuel and tires and things like that. Like I really want to, one of the goals with this team is to elevate the sport of sprint car racing. And I think the sport has a lot to offer in terms of value. When you look at NASCAR, IndyCar, Supercross, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff going on with sprint car racing and I want this team to be a part of it. Um, and so, you know, you just look at the product that's on the track and the excitement and like, for example, okay, you've got a NASCAR race and I know you're a NASCAR guy, so I won't try and dig on you too hard, but you, you can, you're uh, not going to hurt my feelings. <laughs> you know, you've got a NASCAR race. that's four hours long and I've been to a race at Kansas city and I fell asleep in the grandstands and I'm a racing guy. You know, it's like, it, it's, it, you can't, it's hard to hold somebody's attention for that long. And you have to really appreciate kind of the strategy and what's going on on the track to really be engaged with that. And your average fan isn't going to do that. Um, and you know, it's a three hour trip to Kansas city. It's an all day thing. Like it's kind of a big investment for a family to go to a race like that. And I, you know, that's going to be the same for NASCAR, IndyCar, any of those big sports. And you look at the outlaws or the all-stars or even Knoxville and, and you've got a show that, um, the on-track product is really great. Every eight minutes, something's changing. You've got a new heat race. You've got a B main, you've got something and your, your A mains are 20 to 35 laps, you know, and you can hold a teenager's attention for 20 laps when it's really exciting on-track product. And, um, that's what it's going to take. You know, you look at NASCAR trying to break things into stage racing and try and do different things like that to make it more engaging. And, um, I think I see a lot of alignment between sprint car racing and supercross. Um, you've got a couple, you know, premier divisions, you've got some exciting background stories and rivalries and things like that. And, um, it's kind of that same thing. You've got heat races, qualifiers. Um, I see a lot of similarities there. And so, um, I think the sport and as a, as a whole has a lot to offer. And I think you look at COVID and, you know, what iRacing did, um, shining a spotlight on the sport and everything that Kyle Larson did coming back to dirt, uh, you know, Casey Kane, Tony Stewart actively involved in, in owning teams and racing. And, uh, I just think it's a really cool spot for the sport to be in. Um, and so there's some things that we're doing with our marketing and, and you look at where the attention is socially, like social media, um, it's not really on Facebook anymore. It's on TikTok and YouTube vlogs and, you know, Instagram to an extent. So that's where we're focusing a lot of our time. We're trying to do a, get a vlog going off the ground. And, uh, you know, like, for example, people aren't really watching TV that much. Like a lot of people don't have cable anymore. They have Netflix and, and watch YouTube. And, um, I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of vlogs and podcasts and listen to podcasts and things like that. And, um, we saw an opportunity, there's a couple sprint car vlogs that do things pretty well. You've got Tanner Holmes has a pretty cool vlog. Um, Swindell Speed Lab does a little bit of stuff. Um, and so we saw kind of a gap in the market, if you will, where we could enter with a vlog of behind the scenes at the shop, at Knoxville, up and down the road that a lot of people would love to see that, but a lot of people will never have the opportunity to sit in a car or even be involved with the team. And the closer they can get with a vlog, the better. And then 
So aside from providing value to our fans and followers and things like that, that opens up opportunities to sell merchandise and, and a lot of sponsors would want to get involved with that and, and do some cool stuff there. So um, that's kind of why we're headed that direction. What, like, I, I, you know, I know you're really early on with a lot of this stuff, but like, you know, how does this stuff for you translate then into sponsorship, into revenue for your team? Like, you know, are you actively talking to companies now or are you waiting to build things up before you then approach, you know, companies and, and, you know, are, are we going to see a point where we're going to see more corporate sponsorships? Are we going to see more Napa's and more NOS energy drinks, or is it, you know, going to be more regional? Is it going to be more local with the sponsorship? Great question. Um, so us as a team, the way that you can kind of leverage that social media is, so a lot of companies, or excuse me, a lot of race teams, I feel like miss the mark. Their value proposition when they're selling or trying to sell a sponsorship is, I'm going to give you a sticker on the wing and you're going to give me $5,000 and we're going to call it good, you know? And, uh, or, you know, there's, you know, we'll post on Facebook and we'll do post on Instagram, but I can spend a hundred bucks and get 50,000 Instagram views like that. You know, like the, they're not at companies today are not after exposure, especially, you know, with COVID everybody's tightening their belts up and financially companies, you know, companies are. And um, now you're starting to see things open up a little bit more and things are changing, but exposure is not what sells sponsorship anymore. They want to see how engaged the fans are. They want to see the, other things that you can provide value wise, rather than just a sticker on the car going on the racetrack. Anybody could do that. Um, they could go buy a billboard on the interstate and get a lot more eyeballs than that. But, um, you know, somebody, their, their ideal customer's kid can't go sit in a billboard after a race, right? They can't interact with that driver on a personal level. And there's a lot of data out there that shows racing fans are very brand loyal. You see that in NASCAR, it's through the roof when compared to other professional sports. And so as far as leveraging that, you know, we can, um, it's another avenue for engagement with fans. It's another avenue to, for product placement. Um, if you had, you know, one cool idea that I would love to get off the ground for next year is if, you know, if we're gonna go build a car, let's go reach out to all of our, our favorite parts manufacturers and see if we could work out a deal to be, you know, they'll be featured in a 10, 10 part series car build over the off season. And Hey, look at this Smith titanium brake rotor that's going on this Willwood pep, you know, like all those types of things. And um, getting that exposure out there would be um, I think helpful for that with the, on the parts and, and product side of things. Um, I think you're seeing a shift. Like you talk about, you ask about those corporate sponsors, things going corporately. Um, you're starting to see that, you know, you've got NOS Energy, which is really investing a lot of money into sprint car racing. I don't know how many cars and, and you know, midgets and non-wing cars they sponsor, but it's probably over 10 at this point. And, um, you know, and I think Casey Kane, Kyle Larson, Tony Stewart had, not necessarily maybe with NOS, but with other, some of these other bigger partners, they, they've brought them to the dirt world and have kind of shown that value. And I don't have exact numbers, but you know, a, a two inch sticker on a B pillar of a NASCAR at Daytona is probably pretty expensive for what it would be to get, you know, an outlaw car 
or your name on an outlaw car for a season, you know? Um, and so I think the values there, we just have to, as a sport, and I think we're moving this direction. We have to show that value. It's not dirt racing and sprint car racing is not a bunch of rednecks chasing each other out in a pasture, you know? And I think there's still in some circles, there's still that stigma, but when you, look at the type of operations that are going up and down the road and how much money these teams are putting into it. And then the type of names you talk about these NASCAR guys that are coming back to it and, and IndyCar guys looking at stuff. And um, I think that's definitely pushing us in the right direction and, and helping to elevate the sport. Where do you kind of see things going, you know, in terms of, you know, COVID we've had, you know, we kind of had the shutdown and things kind of slowly coming back now. And, and, you know, we're still seeing, you know, races canceled and postponed and all of this, but do you see things, you know, getting back quickly? You know, do you think that this is going to affect some of these business relationships going forward for, for teams like yours? Yeah. And so that's been the tricky part of selling sponsorship. And I've almost held, I've almost you know, kind of pump the brakes in 2020 and not really push super hard because, um, you know, we companies set their budgets in like, it's a lot of times it's really early. It's June, July, August, September, they're looking at budgets for the next season. And so when we're, you know, you back up to June, July, August for 2020, we're still not entirely sure what COVID is, how long is it going to be around? How bad is this fall going to be? And so you're approaching sponsors, for money. And it's like, well, we're not racing this year, but we might do something next year. We don't know. Nobody knows anything. And so it's a lot of unknowns and people that are making decisions with money do not like unknowns. And so, you know, and early on in COVID it's, it's like, man, we're in a worldwide pandemic and I'm trying to sling $5,000 sponsorship spots on a sprint car. Like what, like it just, the, the timing and the, like reading the room, like was not appropriate. Um, and so started having some more meetings this fall and winter. Um, but even then we didn't know really what 2021 was going to bring. I think now that vaccines are getting rolled out and you see cases dropping and, and more things are starting to feel more normal and open up a little bit more. I think 2021 racing wise will feel pretty normal, but then again, you've also got the entire California swing canceled or the West coast swing canceled for, the outlaws. Um, but they pivoted really well and, and made up some shows for that. So props to them, but, um, you know, we're looking at our schedule and we're planning on running 30 nights this year. And as long as, you know, Marion County fairgrounds and, and Knoxville raceway have a plan in place, I think that should be pretty doable. Um, part of it too, I guess it depends on what are the crowd limitations. Cause that's the other aspect is aside from the safety is, um, they need a certain number of, of butts in the seats to keep the lights on and pay our purses and pay their, you know, the lady selling $1 bush lights on bush light night, you know, like it, there's a lot that goes into that. And if the numbers don't work, the numbers don't work and they're not running a charity. So, um, the crowd limitations is probably the biggest limiting factor. Um, you know, it's pay-per-view is nice, but a lot of that, their money comes from those concessions and merchandise sales and things like that that just aren't happening when everything's live streamed. When you are approaching these companies to to sponsor you and 
you know, for someone like you who doesn't necessarily have like, you know, a ton of name recognition, you know, you, you don't have, you know, all these championships and all of this thing to fall back on. Is it like, are you, are you walking to these meetings and saying, Hey, I have an MBA and I'm thinking about these things differently. And I've, you know, I've put together all of this stuff. Like, is that helping you when you go into these meetings? Yeah, I think so. Um, so it's all about how you pos- position yourself. Right. And, um, a lot of times, you know, even if I walked in there and I've won all these championships and done all these things and, and I have all that experience, like if the value that you're providing, like if you still walk in there and offer them, you know, a sticker on the wing and that's about it, like they're not going to go for it most of the time. Like the, the company, especially if they're not around dirt racing, like, you know, raising canes or scooters coffee, like they don't know who Brian Brown is probably, you know, like, and if, if they're not in the sport, they probably just don't know. And so Kyle Larson might not mean anything to a company in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, like it, 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 you have to show them value that's meaningful to them. They're trying to get a return on investment, a return on objective. Like what is what are they trying to accomplish with their marketing? Do they just want more exposure? Do they want a 6% increase in traffic to their website? Like what do they want? And that's what you need to figure out is, you know, the way that I approach a restaurant chain is a lot different than the way I would approach a financial investment firm, which is a lot different than I would approach um, Smith Titanium for some product, you know, and it's, I feel like a lot of people tend to just shotgun blast everything and just send out proposals and DM people. And that works to an extent if you get in front of the right person. But I think trying to land those bigger sponsorships, you're going to have to really tailor it to what that company wants and needs. What's going to move the needle for them? What can, what value can you provide specifically for them? That's going to make a difference. Do you think that there are certain verticals, certain industry types that lend themselves better to those sponsorship deals, you know, or or do you think that like literally anything could, could turn into a sponsorship? I am an optimist and I think I could try and sell anything to anybody, no matter what industry they're in. Um, but some are definitely easier lifts than others, right? Like me going to, I'll just use Casey's cause they're well-known. Like if I want to go to Casey's, that's a pretty easy lift. Like my value proposition to Casey, say they're not involved with Brian, say they're not involved with racing at all. They're just a convenience store chain. Um, you know, it's like our race fans share a pretty similar customer demographic to Casey's. Okay. We're, we, we've got that going for us. Um, our customer or our race fans buy gas and eat pizza and donuts and coffee and, you know, things they sell at gas stations. Okay. We're there. Um, we just need to give them a reason to go to Casey's and not quick trip and not quick stop or whatever, you know, insert other gas station there. And so how do you do that? Well, you can buy a billboard, you can buy Facebook ads, or you can build a really strong multi-year partnership with one of the best names in racing, get that, exposure not only the exposure but that engagement like everybody pretty much everybody i think it's safe to say in sprint car racing sees a casey's car and they think of brian brown or fep you know and you go into casey's like i go to casey's all the time i think of you know like oh brian brown you know just like that brand association is there and that's super powerful and that's very hard to do um you know you look at that at a nascar level you think of lowe's jimmy johnson right or um, you know, there's a lot of brands like that. So, um, 
that's a pretty easy lift going to a place like Casey's. But if I want to go to a music store or somebody that sells pianos, like that's going to be a hard connection to make. I think there's a lot of, I mean, you just look around the pits at a, like an outlaws race or a world of outlaw late model race. It's pretty, the brands that are there make a lot of sense. You know, our, our fan demographic are generally families that, you know, they, they change their own oil. A lot of them hunt, um, you know, might have an ATV or something like that work, work, a um, you know, to an extent, a physical job or something like that, where it's, um, there's some industries that don't make a ton of sense, but I think if you positioned it right, you'd have a fighting chance. And, um, you know, you see a lot of outdoor brands, car dealerships, food, restaurants, things like that. Um, so there's definitely like sales verticals or channels that, um, make more sense and that are probably easier sells, but I think, um, you know, and I think it'd be worth a shot at any, any business. I think we could provide a lot of value that they may not be thinking of, or you find a company that's struggling to market and they're in a slump or something. And it's like, Hey, here's a new exciting approach to branding and marketing. And here's six different things that we can do to show you that and then engage with your customers in a new way. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, you, you do once in a while see some unique brands on the side of a car. Um, and I think it's all about how you position and how well you can sell. In terms of the, you know, I, I, one of the things me and you had talked about in the past and, and things where you were looking for uh-huh. was, was a lot of that data, the, the demographics numbers and things like that. And, and, you know, world racing group, you know, they do surveys and, you know, they've got internal information and like in most cases, like they're not going to give that to you, right? Like they've, you know, that's going to be protected information for them. And, and I'm wondering, like, as you put together your decks and you're approaching companies, like, how do you kind of get the information you need? And, and I'm wondering if you, you know, can you use your social media channels to help you kind of guesstimate on demographics? Like, how do you, how do you put that stuff together? Yeah. Fantastic question. Cause that's, you know, we, like I had mentioned a little earlier on the, on the podcast here, you're one thing that I was trying to figure out. And the question that I was trying to answer was, um, you know, how similar are, is a world of outlaw sprint car fan to your average NASCAR fan? Like how much overlap is there? Um, based on some of the data that I've found just Googling things and finding what I could. Um, there's a high degree of overlap there. Like it's a reasonable assumption. You could, you could present some like NASCAR IndyCar demographics and say, yes, I know this is from NASCAR, but the same people that sit at Knoxville raceway on Saturday nights are pretty likely to be the same people watching the Daytona 500 on Sunday, you know? Um, so that's, that's not a super far-fetched thing to present. Like if you're really hurting for demographic data, um, a lot of it, there's some research databases out there where you can just look locally. Like, let me look at the population of Omaha, Nebraska. And I can see age, um, age demographic info and household income and who owns their own car. Like there's, those databases do exist. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with racing. It's just general census data. 
Um, so if you can kind of comb through that, you can find some things. Uh, and then social media, there's analytics and things. If you have like a business account set up, you can kind of see a little more in depth. Um, and some of it too, is like, if, if just ask your followers, like what's stopping Brian Brown from surveying all the email addresses he has that people that have purchased shirts, like he, you know, ask, ask them what they do, what, where do they shop? What do they do? Like what's stopping teams from doing that? You know, I think that's one of the reasons that might be holding some people back is they just don't take that next step or that next level to really dive in and, and pursue that information. Um, Cause once you have that, like, then you've got something to work with, right? You're not guessing anymore. When you kind of project out over the next year, a couple of years, you know, where do you see this going for you? Do you, you know, do you think that there is, you know, a chance that this turns into a world of outlaws team? Do you think, you know, that, you know, you like the 360 level and, and, you know, in terms of your own kind of driving aspirations, like, is that something you're looking at? Would you like to be a full-time 410 driver? Or is this like, you know, is this something you just want to do for fun? Yeah, absolutely. So the goal, since I was a little kid, like, if you ask me what I want to be when I grow up, it's a, I want to, be a race car driver. And I'm a little bit older. I haven't fully grown up yet. And that goal is still the same. Um, I don't know that I feel confident saying I have the talent to be on a national tour like that as a driver. Uh, Cause I really don't have that many laps in a car. Um, you know, throughout my racing career, I've had some flashes of brilliance now and then, but I've also done some pretty stupid things. So it's like, um, I just don't have the experience to be there. Um, as much fun as that would be, um, just on the driving aspirations. Like, I think it would be if we could get there financially with the team. And if I felt comfortable walking away from a, a day job in, in healthcare administration, um, that would be one thing, but then driving aspirations, we just have to see, you know, I think it'd be, it'd be really exciting for me to find, you know, like the next buddy Kofoy and give them an opportunity. And that's the one thing that, um, that kind of sucks about racing that you don't really have with other sports is it has such a high barrier to entry because it's so expensive. Like, you know, you can take a lot of kids and put a football or basketball or baseball in their hands. And if they're good enough, they'll get through high school, they'll go to college on scholarship and they'll get noticed and, and have a shot at the pros. Right. Like, that's a, that it's a rare thing because of how difficult it is, but it's feasible. You can have somebody that has Kyle Larson levels of talent and the chances of them getting all the way up the ladder and getting those rides without having any backing is very slim. And so that's another thing I'm passionate about is trying to create opportunities for kids like that or people that don't have the resources, the knowledge, the ability to go do that, that deserve a shot. Um, so for me driving, like I plan on driving for as long as I can. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about it and I definitely need a year or two or three and a 360, um, especially at Knoxville and just getting those laps in. Um, we'd like to be at a 410 level at some point and that would open more up, open up more opportunities for traveling, you know, outlaws and all-stars and, and things like that. And I'm like, I know I've mentioned Brian Brown's name a ton tonight. Cause I'm a, I'm a big fan, but um, he's got a really cool schedule too. He'll kind of do whatever makes sense for K 
Casey's an FVP, right? He'll throw a 360 in there and go to someplace in Missouri and he'll be at Williams Grove in the 410. Like he'll kind of do whatever and not really stick to a true out or, a, you know, like the outlaw full season schedule or things like that. So, um, you know, just kind of a combination of where our, our funding is and, and my commitments at work and, and the guys that are helping me out. Um, so right now Knoxville makes a lot of sense. And I think just Knoxville weekly in a 360 and then eventually a 410 is a really strong challenge. Like there's a lot of talent at Knoxville throughout, you know, the 305, 360 and 410s. There's a lot of really good drivers there. So um, this year is not going to be a walk in the park. Like I'm fully expecting to show up and run 18th on night one if we make it in the show, right? Like it's 360s have a pretty stout field and I have not been in a car very much. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do a lot of things right off the track with our branding and with our sponsorships. And, and now it's kind of going to be up to me to, to learn the car. I haven't really worked with these crew guys very much. Like we're going to have to build that relationship and figure out, you know, what I, what I like in the car, what they like, um, the setups and things like that. So, um, yeah, so starting out in the 360s, hopefully moving into a 410 at some point, and then kind of seeing where that where that takes us. Um, you know, as far as the vlog and the socials, like we're having a lot of fun doing that stuff. I think we've got 300 views on our videos, so it's not big by any by any means. And um, I don't even know that we have 100 sub subscribers on YouTube yet, but um, me and the guys are having a lot of fun making those. And uh, you know, just see where it takes us. And I, I told you know, we, we decided that we were going to do that. So I don't care if we get 500 subscribers or 50,000, like this is for fun and it's to help create value for the people that want to watch it. And, um, if we do that and if we can, if we can provide some value and help elevate the sport. I think we've done our jobs. What are your performance expectations for this year? I mean, are, you know, are, are you, can you win a race? You know, is, is that possible? I think it's possible. I think it, you know, in sprint car racing now, no matter where you're at, you know, regardless of location or, you know, 305, 360, 410, like, especially when you've got time qualifying, like at Knoxville, like you kind of have to have everything go right. You know, you need to qualify well. And I don't know the, I don't know the qualifying, like the race format. I haven't read into that a whole lot. Like, I don't know the specifics of how it works, but you know, you need to qualify well. Um, you got to get through your heat race to give yourself a fighting shot for the main. And especially, you know, a big track like Knoxville, you spread out so quick that um, you go green to checkered or don't have many opportunities to get to the front quickly. Like it's going to be, it's going to be hard. Um, so I, you know, we get, get a good qualifying lap down and then, then win a heat race or something and find ourselves on the front row with a clean air and a fat cushion like maybe we could do it you know um that's not what you're supposed to say you're supposed to say absolutely i'm gonna win the first night out i'm super confident <laughs> so i i'm i am um let's see optimistic but real like i know we're like we've got great equipment and i've got i would think you know pretty pretty solid group of guys around me um, but it's just laps, man. Like even in that, in that 360 back in 2015, I ran 10 wing races, you know, and the other eight were non-wing. And then we did one race this year and I was one spot out of the transfer to be main, you know, like I don't have a ton of sprint car experience under me. So I don't want to 
walk in with super high expectations and then just get my teeth kicked in night in and night out finishing, you know, running eighth in the B main or whatever. But, um, I think one of our goals is, is so we sat down and, and kind of mapped out our goals for the year. And the, the first one is just to consistently improve, whether that's finishing position or just, you know, working amongst ourselves and building that relationship. Like I said, cause I think that crew chief driver relationship is more important than a lot of people give it credit for, especially, you know, you see drivers and, and teams swapping rides every other weekend and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I think the longer you get those two together, you get a good team. That's really going to be a multiplier for your performance. Um, so really working to build that and, you know, if we can make the show every night and load the car in the trailer, that's, you know, that's a win. We've got one car right now, one car and two engines. Um, but obviously, you know, we are going there to compete. We are going there to do well, um, as a team and for the people that are partnering with us. So, um, you know, making that famous right-hand turn at Knoxville is, is always the goal for, I think everybody that rolls in there. Um, but you know, you've got 24 people who aren't going to make it and you've got one that will. So, um, you know, this year specifically, if we could consistently, you know, hit some top tens and maybe pull off a top five and just put ourselves in good position each night. I think that would be a successful year. Well, I will let you go. I appreciate the time, but I, I got to have all the plugs. Where, where are we finding you? Where can we keep up? Where, where's the vlog? Give me, give me the whole rundown. Absolutely. So all the cool stuff is happening on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. Um, we're also on Twitter and, and Facebook, but um, we're really hitting YouTube and TikTok hard. Um, so Catalyst Autosport on all those platforms. Um, on Twitter, it's Catalyst Auto 99. Our number is 99. So, um, but yeah, we're trying to get vlogs out. Uh, it's not weekly, but at least bi-weekly right now in the off season. And then hopefully when the season starts, we'll have more content to push. So the goal is that we'll have a weekly vlog during the race season. But yeah, we're really trying to do things big on, on YouTube and, and TikTok. Instagram. Nice. Well, Tony Rost, thanks for the time. Thanks, Justin. Have a good one. I'm sure before you started this episode, you probably didn't know who Tony Rost was. But after hearing his story, I'm hoping you'll keep an eye on his progress. He's got some interesting ideas and plans, and I'm super curious to see how they play out. Make sure to find Catalyst Autosport on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and the other social channels. He's already put out some great content with much more to come. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.